1: Trojan fans, welcome to the Parastyle Podcast on a Friday. We're going to talk some USC Trojan football with Dan Weber, beat writer and columnist for us here at uscfootball.com. We're going to talk about Pac-12 media days and answer a bunch of your questions as fall camp is one week away. One week from today, USC will be in fall camp. We'll get to see... The quarterbacks and everybody else competing for spots and getting ready for the 2018 season. If you have any questions for us, next week we'll have a show where it we'll kind of preview fall camp a little bit. So if you have any questions about that, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. Or if you'd like to call us or text us, the number is 424-254-9141. A few different ways you can get a hold of us, and we love to hear from you. We love feedback. We love to answer your questions. So that's what we're here for. That's where we're going to keep going. And we're going to keep going with Dan Weber, who's on the line right now. What's up,
0: Dan? Well, uh, it's, I guess, what we could say right now with uh, no PRPs this week and uh, uh, fall camp not starting till next Friday. Basically, we've got uh, 10 days uh, with a lot of talk. Talk, 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 talk. Pac-12 media day right in the middle of it. And there's nothing else to do but talk. So... Uh, that's what we're doing.
1: We're gonna. That's what we're here. Podcasts are all about talking. We're not doing any music. We're talking. Um, I actually was down there. It was funny. And so I, I had to go down the USC this morning for to meet with a couple of people, and I drove by the uh, Howard Jones Field, and they were either I believe they were repairing or putting up the net on Brian Kennedy Field for where you're kicking the field goals. Um, so it looked like they were getting ready. I didn't see anybody any players out there. So I don't even know if they had like a, maybe they had a workout earlier, but it was around eight o'clock or um, now probably hmm. eight 20 or so when I was there. So I think they're probably already gone, but no throwing or that's anything. Interesting.
0: So. That's interesting. Cause they've put the nets up. Cause they put up new, uh, uh, I guess that's a USC. Those are USC family that uh, owns that company that does netting of all kinds with all, you know, all kinds of sports and what have you. But I think they put it up once earlier in the summer, and I'm guessing maybe they're readjusting it or what. Was it the one uh, by the, by the, you know, the fence and the, and the street where they yes. really absolutely have to have that? It's a lot bigger. Uh, they've got a lot bigger, more substantial, uh, you know, uh, uh, I guess pole, the poles and the netting and that are, are, are you know, they're not going to lose any footballs uh, unless they really, you know, unless they really miss them. But, uh, but it's a heck of a net. I'll say that.
1: Impressive. It was very, yeah, it was very impressive. Uh, it's big because you got to, you're basically, you know, with the it's city campus, you don't have a lot of space. So the uh, the goalpost is pretty much right up against the street. So you have to have something up there. The other one, you're kicking into the pool half the time. So they got to have some pretty substantial nets. But I saw that down there. Didn't see any team, any players and stuff working out. Uh, before we jump into everything, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's, they've been a great sponsor for us, and we're trying to put together uh, something for August for some kind of event uh, before practice or something like that with Trader Joe's where we can give away a whole bunch of those bags. Uh, Everyone loves those branded USC bags, and uh, people ask, they can't sell them because they're, you know, they have all this USC logo stuff all over it, USC marks, but they're allowed to give them away. So that's why we can do it when we're down there at the events. We'll give them away. But they're not for sale, so when people when you see them, someone would give it to you. I, I know some people try to buy them on eBay, but uh, Dan and I are both big Trader Joe's fans. I was just there yesterday; I had to stop by a friend's house and pick up a six pack of a beer. I uh, love it, they're just getting different kinds. Uh, they have a lot of different uh, varieties and stuff there. My wife is keeps Instagramming about her Trader Joe's meals because she makes a whole bunch of stuff from there, like the whole meal will be uh, from Trader Joe's. So we 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 use it a lot. I know Dan uses a lot too.
0: Yeah, uh, got a, uh, a new one in, uh, in Tustin here. And, uh, yeah, a big, big Trader Joe's fan. The people working there are just such, uh, such good people. And, uh, you know, I, I think we're all, uh, our hearts are with them, uh, you know, for this past weekend, uh, you know, very, uh, very tough situation. And, uh, you know, you just can't say enough for, for the people that work at Trader Joe's and how, uh, you know, how, how well respected You know they are in the community and you just have a you know i have a connection to them so uh uh so you know all we can do is say we're you know thinking about them and 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 you know wanting nothing but the best for uh for all the folks that work at trader joe's
1: yeah certainly it's terrible tragedy and uh you know instantly thought about you know our relationships with the people there so um yeah our condolences and thoughts and prayers going out for the whole trader joe's family um we, you know, as far as the event goes, Dan, we haven't really talked about it, but there's no open practices, so we were going to try to maybe do something before a practice, but uh, I don't think we can do that now because no one's really going to be going to practice. So we're gonna have to figure out something, maybe before uh, Salute to Troy or something like that. We could do it.
0: That's true. Yes, yeah, Salute to Troy. There will be, uh, you know, lots of people coming and going, and uh, if uh, you know, in the right location and all that, uh, that actually could be. Uh because what you could do is, uh, you'd have them finishing practice and then, uh, the couple of hours between and, uh, people coming, uh, might be the best, uh, best opportunity. And who knows? Maybe they'd give in and let people, uh, <laughs> go up to, uh, the, the top of, uh, Loker, uh, you know, stadium or, or whatever and, uh, just get a little glimpse.
1: Kind of like what we do. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> for the player in practice. Who knows? Maybe we'll be there. At some point. We're still going to be in our little pen. I know Harvey Hyde was asking about that. Like, yep, no, we're still in a little pen. Um, and Akili, she reminded me that last year they pretty much did the same thing. They started practice in July. So they opened the right. first few. But then they said because August is a dead period, they wouldn't open it then because recruits could come in and you're not supposed to be talking to to coaches, which makes no sense to me. That seems to be just over, you know, compliance um overstepping their bounds because if you're you're if you're on campus, if you're a coach walking around, it's a public place. Like a recruit could just walk in and say hello just like they could come to practice. It's open to everybody. Um so I, I think you know, those kind of things I don't think it's a violation if you open practice to the public and a recruit happens to be there. You know, it just doesn't seem like that would be a violation.
0: Yeah, I don't see the connection uh between the dead period and uh closing uh practice to the public. I, I think that's kind of a, a forced connection with uh, something like oh what if or how do we document you know that it remains a dead period or whatever but but there's really no connection between the public and a dead period uh, so yeah uh, we still haven't I don't think ever gotten a, 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 a an explanation that that makes uh, clearly clear logical sense uh, for the Putting the two
1: together, um, yeah, it it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Plus, you know, there's other practical 12 programs. I emailed a big group of people that cover the teams like we do for the different programs, and three or four of them have open practices. So, uh, it can't be a violation, or unless those th- three or four schools are all committing violations, you would think, you know, the interpretation should be pretty much easy across the board. Like, I think the NCAA should be able to say you're allowed to have an open practice just because it's a dead period, you know, if a recruit happens to come, you just don't, you know, don't host them or anything. But they're allowed to show up and, and watch if they want.
0: Yeah, uh, again, a little bit of a head slapper. Uh, you just, you're not sure what, what you're hearing or why you're hearing it. And uh, I don't know that it, it makes a lot of sense. I, I tended to agree with, uh, with Pete Carroll's, uh, you know, view on it, is that he wanted his players to practice under pressure and the more people there and 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 pete even would do things to get people as close to the practice field as possible or you know just to make it you know similar to game situations you're not playing games with uh with nobody around and uh and no distractions and all of that so uh i i tend to agree that that's the way to go but uh but USC. Hasn't chosen to go that way, and uh, there's not a lot of discussion about uh, about. And one of the you know one of the problems. Let's face it, USC has the practice practices m- more open to the media than almost any major program in the country. So it it it's hard to argue, you know, about other issues that are involved with you know open practices when they do. Uh, you know, still have it mostly open to the media. Uh, and that's really not the case. You know, if you went to Alabama or Ohio State or, you know, Georgia or Clemson, I'm, I'm not thinking uh, the media people are getting in to watch those practices.
1: No, no. Yeah, we're, you know, it's not. For us, it's fine. Like, they, they restrict us a little bit more every year and, you know, keep us in a little pen. But, you know, we can still talk to a lot of people. It's not horrible for us. But I do feel bad. For the fans, you know, because it's it's great to be able to come out and watch practice, and I think the players like it. Um, you know, it's unfortunate that they're not able to do that. And really, if they want to have, if they want to close them, I think they could just say, "Hey, we're closing practice." I don't think anyone would say anything. But to use the compliance excuse just seems silly because it doesn't seem like that would be a
0: real thing. But yeah, whatever. yeah, but. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I do feel because USC fans have kind of gotten, you know, and they don't abuse it, uh, you know, and, and it's not where it's you know, there's tens of thousands or anything like that. But you know, there was, was kind of a group, uh, you know, that really enjoyed it, and uh, and now, you know, they can't can't do that. I think they're still going to probably have the parents uh, able to come uh, once a week. Uh, used to be uh, Tuesday, I'm assuming. That's the case, or, or, or the uh, relatives. Let's say family, uh, will, will probably still be able to come, but uh, but uh, but not the public.
1: Yeah, the the public. It would be nice to have, but uh, like we said, not going to happen this year. Um, before we jump in, we got to talk about Media Day. We got a couple of questions on that. I wanted to talk about your experience. We haven't talked to you since you were on the Paul Feinbaum show, uh, talking about your column. You wrote a pretty scathing column about the Pac-12 being, uh, you know, so far behind the other power five conferences and not gonna be able to catch up. Um, what was that experience like? Cause it's a super popular, you know, national show, even just talking about the SEC.
0: Yeah, I, I give them credit. Uh, they, uh, they saw the column over the weekend and, uh, uh, Monday morning, uh, bright and early, uh, got an email from the uh, producer, Mark Kubiak. who said, uh, Hey, we'd love to have you come on and talk about your column. And, uh, and uh, we got. Uh, uh, I guess it was on Tuesday, wasn't it? Yeah, it's Tuesday. And uh, Shotgun uh, actually, they if they're going to interview and they're going to do the simulcast where they do uh, both the TV show on uh, on the SEC network and their you know their radio show, which is all over the country on Sirius and, and ESPN, ESPN. Uh, they want a photo so they can show people who you who they're talking to. So Shotgun. Uh, shot a photo after uh, uh, after uh, the workout and sent it to him. And uh, you know, one o'clock they call and uh, and, and Paul Feinbaum isn't he's an I, I like Paul because he's an intellectually curious guy. And he's you know he's an SEC guy. Uh, been in Birmingham much of his life. Went to the University of Tennessee. The show is coming from their studios in Charlotte now. But uh, but he's. You know he sees, the and he's on every Saturday on you know the SEC, you know game of the week and all of that, or or uh, he's on Game Day too. I guess he really uh, you know represents the SEC to the country. But he wanted to know about what's going on with the Pac-12. He said you know they, you know Larry Scott was the you know the kind of the you know the golden boy of uh, you know college commissioners and the Pac-12 he had a great contract and the first you know contract and. You know, coming in at the tail end of, uh, you know, Pete Carroll and USC, and right when the NCAA sanctions were starting, he said, what's going on? What's happened? And he said, you know, and then you had Oregon and Stanford for a while, but, you know, what's making it difficult for the Pac-12 to compete and resulting in, for example, the 1-8 uh, you know, bowl record of last year or the not winning a game in the NCAA basketball tournament, and so we talked about all the, you know, the miscalculations that have put the Pac-12 where they are, or how they, you know, badly they miscalculated on their own networks, uh, and how that, you know, they can broadcast 850 events, but if nobody's watching, you know, so what? Uh, you know, the misfire with uh, uh, Direct TV. Well, and I, it was interesting with Paul. He basically just wanted to listen and I say what is, what's going on, what's happened. You know, it was almost kind of the you know, we don't pay that much attention to the Pac-12 here. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, he just, I guess it was about 14 minutes or so uh, at, at one o'clock. And, uh, and he seemed to really enjoy the interview. I mean, enjoy the information. I think he, you know, and obviously it makes the SEC look good, but you know, they deserve to look good. They've made a lot of really good decisions. Uh, you know, they they just, you know they're very competitive in the areas where they want to compete, and I know you know we got the flip side of that at the you at Pac-12 Media Day, where it looked like uh, Larry Scott really wanted to answer the question about how can you stay competitive, as you know, in the Conference of Champions if you're going you know if you're going to fall 20 million dollars per team uh, uh, behind uh, per year. Uh, to the Big 12 or Big Ten, let's say, and you know, which by the time because Larry said basically the Pac-12 is not going to do any more, you know, not going to generate any more re- revenue for the rest of the contracts that you know go through 2023-24, which turns out to be about one and a half billion dollars a year just between now and then that the Big Ten will, uh, you know, make uh, over and above what the Pac-12 is going to make. And that's a, you know, that's like real money, a, a, you know, a billion and a half dollars. And I know Larry talked about, you know, that the Pac-12 has been able to go out and hire coaches and the Pac-12 has been able to, you know, put a, a similar figure, a billion and a half dollars, into uh, you know, facility upgrades and capital, uh, you know, improvements. The problem he's got, and he didn't mention this, is, some of the schools are having, you know, they've committed that money and they've put, you know, the uh, expansions out there, but they don't have the income, the revenue to pay for it. You know, I mean, it's USC obviously going to be able to generate the 270 to $300 million for the Coliseum uh, renovation, but I don't know that the same story holds true for, say, uh, Washington State. With their, uh, you know, renovation and expansion of Martin Stadium, I think they were probably expecting to do uh, a bit better in terms of the TV contracts and that, and, uh, and that hasn't, ha- you know, that hasn't happened. And the Pac-12 Network hasn't happened. And now, after what six years, they say they're going to do more focus on football and men's basketball. Whoa! How about that? Now, that's some, that's some real genius, uh, you know, figuring things out. But uh, this year they said, we're really going to concentrate on football this year. And you just think, what in the heck have you been doing for the last six years? <laughs> now you're going to concentrate on football, you know? I mean, and just the fact that, for example, there are some really good stories in the Pac-12. The uh, Oregon State, the way they came back, and won the uh, NCAA championship in baseball. I mean, that's just an amazing story that you could put together a team that in the last, what, 10, 12 years has won three NCAA championships and, and come out of Corvallis, Oregon. I mean, they're, they're literally, you know, they got just as bad a weather as you could possibly have in the spring. And, 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 how many baseball players are, you know, Orange County has a lot more, you know, probably 10 times as many baseball players as, as Oregon. And yet, you know they keep doing it, and yet the SEC covered the NCAA baseball uh, tournament a heck of a lot better than the Pac-12 networks did. And that's the kind of stuff you just got to be. You know, if you're going to have a uh, you know a network and you're going to do 850 events and all that, you got to be nimble-footed enough to to really uh, you know to pull it off. Or the fact that you know in the year a week that they announced they were going to do much, you know, more focus on football. They didn't even cover, you know, Larry Scott's remarks. They, uh, they had a three hour show in the morning and a three hour show in the afternoon on Pac-12 media day, but Pac-12 media day went more than four hours uh, in the morning and more than four hours in the afternoon. So, you know, they weren't exactly the network of record, uh, for the Pac-12, you know, media day, uh, you know, you what you would like to see them do is cover everything live, every coach, every, you know, player, and then maybe do commentary, you know, and if that means you got to do, you know, 10 or 12 hours uh, during Pac-12 media day, that's what you do. The SEC has four media days, and so, you know, they've got plenty of time to to do all of that. The Pac-12, doing it in one day, that's a bit more challenging but I don't think you, you do the. You know, the answer is that you cut back. Uh, you know, the hours that you're, you know, you're covering it, or that you don't cover, you know, the important, you know, question and answer sessions and things like that. So, uh, so I don't know. But, but anyway, that's kind of the the, the subject matter. Um, you know, for, um, uh, for the, SEC network. And one of the things I think I I led the column with the fact that. The first day, the first uh, speech of the, PAC, uh, the SEC media days was uh, Commissioner Greg Sankey. And he started off, one of the first things he said was he mentioned the names of uh, oh, Phyllis and, and, and uh, Iman and uh, Jim and, and Larry and all these guys that are established callers to the Paul Feinbaum show. And he talked about them. And I was just thinking... Is there any possibility that when you got up there with the Pac-12 commissioner that he could mention the names of any fans of Pac-12 football teams or of the Pac-12 in general? It's just not going to happen. And that's why the SEC is so good, that they understand how important the fans are and that they do things for the fans. And, you know, like the whole SEC was, holding their breath because they were renegotiating, um, you know, Paul Feinbaum's contract uh, and it was, was, was up and they got it. Obviously they got it renegotiated and everything is taken care of, but they really care about that stuff. And you can't expect the PAC 12 to care. It's a different place. It's a different world. The, the cities are altogether different. The fan bases are altogether different, but you'd like the PAC 12 uh, itself to understand what can we do to connect with our fans? What can we do to pay attention to our fans? You know, what can we do to pay attention to the nearly 2 million people in Southern California who get DirecTV? You know, it's the largest DirecTV, uh, you know, locale in the, you know, in the world is in Southern California. And to, you know, to go into a Pac-12 network and not know that you had to get it right with direct tv or you basically wrote off a big part of your uh your fan base and they just went ahead and and did that and you know that's a giant loss for the pack 12 that they're never gonna get right apparently
1: yeah well great stuff i mean it was uh, i think you did a really good job on the show so if you guys want to go check it out it's uh what was the date was it the like 24th or something it was a thursday let me see it would be
0: was it the thursday what day was, was it, it
1: thursday like the 19th oh no wait uh
0: well the... now i'm uh <laughs> i forget maybe the uh, 19th i don't know you i thought for... it was the weekend it was was it the weekend before but pack 12 media day uh yeah, No, think, it was the a week before. It was uh, Tuesday before Pac-12 Media okay, Day. Okay, so, so the 17th. Was the 17th. Okay. 17th.
1: Yeah, so go check out. He's got the uh, archives and stuff there, so you can check out the Paul Feinbaum show where Dan did a great job. Um, before we jump in, I want to talk about Pac-12 Media Day, but I want to thank our sponsor, for hims Did you know 66% of men start losing their hair by the age of 35? Is that hairline slowly starting to move backwards? Any bald spots yet? When you start to notice hair loss, it's too late. 4 is a one-stop shop for hair loss plus skin care and sexual wellness for men. You get medical-grade solutions, real doctors offering well-known generic equivalents to name-brand prescriptions to help you keep your hair. They're not herbal supplements. They are prescription medications backed by science, and they're shipped directly for your, to your door, hundreds of dollars less than what you would be paying in a doctor's office, so my listeners get a free trial with four hymns for just five dollars today, right now while supplies last. You can see the website for full de- for full details, but just for five bucks, it would cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or the pharmacy. Go to fourhymns.com/usc. That's f-o-r-h-i-m-s.com/usc. slash usc So go check it out. And then Dan, I wanted to talk about pac twelve media day, and Earl in West LA said he was wondering if, if we had two or three takeaways on the USC football t- from pac twelve media day, and if so, what do you think they are?
0: Well, I mean, I, I think the the biggest takeaway, and it wasn't just me; it was everybody. That was if you were near Cameron Smith or Port Augustine, you realized how unbelievably uh, motivated these two guys are, you know, to make their last year, you know, something really worthwhile. Uh, and, 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 like, really special. And, and, and they're not throwing around the word, you know, national championship to be, you know, exciting anybody or whatever. It's just this is what you do at USC, and this, we think we've got enough talent to do it. And, uh, you know, we've won, you know, the big exciting Rose Bowl and sophomores and the uh, Pac-12 championship uh, as juniors but it's the logical you know, next place to go, but we're not going to be able to go there, they think, or they'll tell you if we do it like they did it last year. And they know, you know how badly, uh, how far short they came up against, uh, you know, te- uh, uh, excuse me, Ohio State and the Cotton Bowl or Notre Dame and South Bend or uh, Washington State at, you know, in Pullman. And uh, things have to change. The culture has to change. And, it's interesting that they've got two different approaches where Cam, you know, really wants to be the leader who figures out how am I, how do I do best as a leader? And how do I do best not just by saying what I'm saying, but getting everybody else to go along with me and to be leaders themselves. And um, and then yet you've got Porter who becomes a leader and has decided he's not going to be the leader who does you know, the speeches and, and the talk, he's going to be the leader by example. And as, as Cameron said, you know, Porter can be an inspirational leader for this team just by being Porter and doing what he does and what he's always done. And uh, so, I mean, I thought that was really impressive. And I actually wrote it, you know, and it's like it's kind of a reversal where Clay is sort of the you know, if you've got a good cop, bad cop situation, Clay's sort of the good guy. And, you know, the smiling and upbeat guy, he's the guy that drives the ice cream truck to practice. And these are the guys, and, and Cam and, and Porter are the guys that are scowling and, you know, looking at their guys and say, come on, this is the way we, we, we do things around here. And I think it can work. I mean, I think that's what was needed for Clay to be able to be Clay and to be who he is, he needs players like Cam and, and Porter. and I, I think he's got them. I mean I think, I think they, you know they've got a chance just because I think this defense has got so many athletes that if they come out and I mean I think they can they have to replicate. And I, I've used this example in and, and the 2003 team that had just lost Carson Palmer and Troy Palamalu and might have been the best team in the country by the time they got finished with the Orange Bowl and figured out how good they could be and how they needed to do what they did. But they lost, those, you know, they lost their Heisman Trophy quarterback. You lost your you know, all-time great safety. And they go you know, to open at Auburn, a team that some people were picking to win the national championship, a team that put all kinds of people into the NFL. And they go down there, and Auburn is all fired up. They're getting USC. Uh, they got this great team coming back and 86,000 people in the stadium an uh, hour and a half before the game. And they're practicing. Their, uh, half the stadium is saying touchdown. The other half the stadium is saying Auburn because they had just lost their legendary uh, radio man uh, in the off season, and they were going to salute him every time Auburn scored with the touchdown Auburn chant. And of course USC comes in there and shuts them out, and they don't they don't you know they don't get to do one of those because USC didn't let them, I and mean, they barely let them across the 50 yard line, and uh, and and that's I think the model for this team, uh, you know at the start of that year they didn't know if they had what they had with Matt Leiner, the quarterback they didn't let him run you know use a lot of the playbook, uh, but. According to Cam, Terry Colbert has been talking to them about what that was like, and I, I told Cam, I said, get them to show you the, you know, the highlight film. It's just like three and a half minutes, but you get a sense of how USC went in there and just went after Auburn and just flat out said, we're not going to let you play. I said, that's how you win games on the road, especially early in the year. That's you know and that's what this team is going to have to do you know they're going to have to go to have to go to stanford and they're going to have to go to texas in weeks two and three and that's what you want is a defense that just doesn't let the other team get in the game and gives your offense a chance to fight itself and uh, so so anyway that was my biggest takeaway i think was was that that sense of uh of, of the senior leadership that you're getting from those guys uh i got a sense that clay is pretty upbeat about everything and not a, you know just in that well that's Clay being clay i think i think the the rehabbing has gone well and and it looks like everybody uh pretty much is going to be there except uh, i i think we still have no idea about exactly where alawale batiku is gonna you know gonna land and how that's going to work out but and I was just going through the roster. I'm getting ready to do previews for the next week. I think I'm, instead of going position by position, I think we're going to go offense, defense first, offense, special teams, and then the coaches and kind of do a preview and put them all together. For example, you can't really run a, you know, an offense or defense by just position groups. It's how everything's going to work together. And I think I went through the defense. I started looking at, at, the different, at all the athletes. I came up with thirty-five different guys who I could see starting. You know that if you put any one of those guys on the field, you wouldn't feel bad about it. And thirty-five—that's like a, that's an unbelievable number. I think I've got maybe twenty-two. I would say the same thing about on defense, or on offense. But there are so many bodies, uh, athletic guys that 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 really have some. You know. I mean, it's hard to say who, which is deeper, the secondary or the linebackers. And yet, you know, we all think that the potential on that, you know, defensive front with, you know, some of the young guys is, is just awfully good. So, uh, I mean, I think, you know, we'll see how this, how this works. But, uh, but I think Clay's feeling pretty good about it. And I have a feeling he has an idea about what's going to happen at quarterback because he said. I mean, asking the biggest kind of concern, it wasn't the offensive line and it wasn't quarterback, it was special teams. And he and obviously was one of the areas that really did not come through last year. And um, But the fact that he said special teams, didn't say quarterback, didn't say offensive line tells me he got a sense that at least he knows maybe what's going to happen. I mean, a quarterback when you When you know that Clay has known um, J.T. Daniels since JT. was in the seventh grade, has been coming around the program, uh, you get a sense that that they have a fix on what they think is going to happen because they've really only got a couple of weeks to make up their mind. When you take away the three non-paid days and you know you got ten days left, 12 days left and fall camp. And then you got the mock game week and the game week. So I uh, don't have a lot of time to, to get that decided. So my guess is they have a pretty good idea how that's going to go.
1: I would guess. <laughs> I guess you're right there. Um, we had another question having to do with pac of Media Day from Joan, our friend Joan, formerly of Idaho. Oh. Um, she said she read that SE was picked away the South by the media and Washington was picked to win the North. Washington is the media darling to win the Pac-12 this year. Why? Really? We have had two top five recruiting classes in the last two years. Washington didn't even go last year. We are loaded with the best players in the West, so why would Washington be favored over the Trojans? Does the media know something we don't know? Or are they di- drinking a different Kool-Aid? Thanks so much and fight on from Joan. I think that's something to do with Chris Peterson, Joan, but go, like, we'll at Dan's yeah. answer here.
0: Well, I think it's, it's Chris Peterson and, and, and Jake Browning. I mean, they've got a quarterback that everybody recognizes. And as much as the awareness seems to be creeping into the media at large that, that there may be a freshman quarterback who's pretty special at USC, uh, it's harder for them to put, you know, if you're the media, you're the outsider. It's just harder for you to put, you know, your, your uh, bet on, on a USC team that hasn't defined itself. And, you know, they've got a lasting memory of USC. And, you know, and that uh, uh, the two games that everybody watched were, you know, Notre Dame and, and, and uh, uh, Ohio State. And, you know, they remember those things. And who was it? Uh, I guess Chip Kelly was talking about uh, paying a lot of attention to the Pac-12 last year when he wasn't coaching. And, of course, his first reference was, You know, how great a conference it was. I remember Friday night watching that USC game at Washington State, and And I'm thinking, yeah, those are the games that people remember. They remember USC at Washington State, they remember USC at Notre Dame, and they remember USC against the Ohio State at Cotton Bowl. And that doesn't give you a sense. And and, and a lot of people do know, hey, USC's had a lot of good recruiting classes, but what the heck? That didn't look like a team with a lot of great players on it. Uh, uh, in those games is USC didn't show up. And, um, so I think that's, that's the hurdle. Clay's got to get over. The hurdle this, these players have to get over is figuring out how to show up, uh, especially when the, you know, the bright lights are on. Now they did that two years ago. I mean, this is, if I were Washington, this would worry me because when they had the bright lights on them two years ago in Seattle, when USC showed up, and that was a a game where, for example, uh, you look back at Port Gustin's career, that was a game where he was just dominant, and he they they didn't want to go anywhere near him and poor Jake Browning was running for his life the whole game and you know if you're washington and and you you know kind of take pride and you're a physical team and a team that doesn't make mistakes and all of that and you remember what happened the last time you you know you faced the u s c team that was really ready to play um uh, you didn't do so well, so I, I think it's the ideal scenario. You know, I hope they they do well, and uh, I'd rather play them than have to play Stanford twice uh, or whatever. You know, and I'm not sure Oregon is, is you know is ready at all, has enough athletes to be there. So I, I would love that matchup, and 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 just decided on the field. You know, in Santa Clara, November 30th, uh, that'll be great uh, for me, but. But yeah, I think I think 37 to two. The media to about 37 to two over USC is probably an overstatement. But then we know we know what USC could be. We we see the players. Um, you know, there's no guarantee they're going to be that team. But we know what they could be. And um, you know, they certainly have more talent than Washington has. I don't, I don't have any question about it. they have more talent. And, you know, they almost have as much talent. As you start going by stars and all that kind of thing, as the whole rest of the Pac-12 put together. Uh, So uh, obviously got to have a quarterback who comes through. And it's hard to tell people that there are ways you could look at the quarterback situation at USC and not see a drop-off from last year or or see some improvements, uh, see fewer turnovers, see, uh, you know, things that, that maybe a new quarterback can do better. That, that, that's almost impossible to say when you're talking about, you know, Sam Donald, who was uh, the number three guy in the draft and could have been number one in a lot of people's minds. Uh, that doesn't make sense. So that's what you get. You get everybody, you know, playing it a little more safe and say, yeah, let's go with Washington, go with Browning, go with uh, Peterson. And uh, I think that's where we are on that, Joan.
1: All right, we got Jim in Newport Beach. He says, first, I want to say that I appreciate what you and your whole staff do. I have come to rely on your podcast and articles every week about USC football. My question is this. Of of most all the quarterbacks in recent memory, Sam Darnold seemed to throw the ball down the field more often. It felt like our offense was more electric with a quick strike ability. How much of this is simply a quarterback's choice versus play calling or scheme. I'm not sure we will see another quarterback with Sam's raw talent. That's Jim in Newport.
0: I don't know, Jim. Uh, Yeah, I think some of it is, uh, you know, play design. Some of it is the fact that uh, uh, once uh, the play broke down and Sam was scrambling, uh, you had more of a chance to throw the ball downfield as as receivers, you know, broke their routes and tried to find, uh, you know, open areas and things like that. Uh, you know, that was a plus and a, and a minus. He also had all, you know, the turnovers. And, uh, you know, where Sam tried to do an awful lot on his own. And uh, I think he was very conscious of, you know, where the pass rush was going to come from and what he had to avoid. And so you didn't always see the, you know, the original stuff uh, stuff happen. But, uh, but I do think, uh, you know, with the two uh, – a uh, whole other quarterbacks from the spring, Matt Fink and, and, and Jack Sears, you don't see as much that ability to, to throw the ball down the field. But uh, but with, uh, with J.T. Daniels, uh, you've got a guy that, that will throw the ball down the field, will take what you give him, uh, doesn't mind taking the short stuff or the crossing routes or or, or any of it, but, uh, but seems to see the field in, in ways in which, he can anticipate, you know, where the opening is going to be and, uh, and we'll take advantage of it. And so, uh, so I, I, I think the jury is still out on, on whether USC is going to be able to throw the ball down the field. I think Tyler Vaughn, uh, when you look at Tyler Vaughn and then the, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, uh, freshman coming in, uh, you have a couple of people, uh, that, that can be really, you know, down-the-field threats. So I think Tyler just figuring out uh, his skill set and his, you know, ability, yards after the catch and all the kinds of things. And Amon Ra, just, that's a natural. I mean, everybody that's seen him this summer, it raves about him. The older players, the coaches, just um, he's going to be a a big asset immediately. Um, So in some ways, uh, the quarterback, if he can take advantage of it, is going to have just the Amon-Ra himself, and then and the other guy that they really really like and, and you can't not like if you watch him is Devin Williams. You know, almost six five and and quick feet, uh, explosive kid, looking like he's catching most everything. Uh, give him two. You know, USC has two freshmen that uh, that are going to make life pretty difficult uh, for uh, for defensive backs who. Really, I don't think many secondaries are going to be able to double up on anybody on the, uh, you know, uh, among the USC uh, pass catchers. So, uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, the the question I'd like to see answered is how do they take advantage of the tight ends? We're hearing that uh, Daniel baby should be back and ready to go. Uh, it should get cleared this week. Uh, Clay said he's moving. You know, I think he used the word phenomenally or fabulously or, or whatever that he really really and we don't get to see daniel do that in the uh, prps but uh McClay was just uh, raving about how uh he's pain free and uh and, and and should be a you know big contributor and he can get down the field as well uh they didn't have that last year that that kind of quick strike uh, down the, through the seam with the tight end which they they'd had the year before and uh, so uh, I wouldn't give up on uh, their ability to strike down the field.
1: Yeah, that was an interesting point. And uh, Jason in Longhorn Country had a question about Devin Williams, too. He wanted to get your thoughts on him, so I'm glad you shared that. So thanks, Jason. Hopefully that answered your question. Um,
0: yeah, he's. I think he's shown – and I, I try to watch him more toward the end of the PRPs because uh, – he hadn't played against great competition and he's obviously so much better an athlete than the guys he was lining up against. But I'm watching him and I'm watching him get quicker and more assertive and more sure of himself. And, you know, in terms of releasing, uh, you know, off the line of scrimmage and uh, just with the kind of quick feet that you don't often see for a guy his size. And so I've been really encouraged, uh, you know, about, uh, where he's come from and, and where, he could, where, where he could end up. And I, I like the fact that Clay uh, singled him out with Amon Ra as the two freshmen that just uh, really, really impressed the coaches in the, in the team run and all the workouts. So, so that's, that's good news.
1: The, um, Tarek had a question. If JT Daniels was to win the job, could you see him becoming a captain as well?
0: Well, I mean, although you have to go into specific designations, he's got to be capable of of running the team, uh, which I think we have seen that in the summer. I mean, he's very confident, very content being in charge. Uh, the players know it. I mean, they've all talked about it. Uh, he's not somebody he's going to have to convince them. Hey, I'm a freshman, but, but I can really do this job. Uh, no, he's uh he will have, of the of the guys that are, you know, fighting it out, he's probably got the, the least difficult job of convincing them uh, that he can be the, the leader, uh, you know, that moves the ball and, and does the right things and gets the ball to the right place at the right time. Uh, there's something about him. He just has a way about him. Uh, you would never... If you just showed up up there top of Lokerd Stadium with us, and they said pick out the freshman quarterback, he might be the last guy you'd pick. He does not look like the freshman quarterback. So, so I think he'll I think it would be fine. He doesn't need to be. I mean, your quarterback is your quarterback. He doesn't need to be uh, you know the captain. Uh, but he, he better be able to to be the captain. Yeah. Uh, but he doesn't have to be the captain. Yeah.
1: Don't think he'd be named the captain, but he'll be acting like no. Him. Um, okay, we don't only really talk recruiting, but Ben in the Central Valley wrote in for to you. He said, First off, I want to thank you guys for keeping me uh, from going insane this summer, waiting for what has seemed like forever for football season to come back around. Worst time of the year. Quick question about Bryce Young, the class of 2020 dual threat kid by all so he's a 2020 quarterback, highly rated that he's um, and committed to USC this past week. He said By all means, I'm happy we got him committed, but I feel like he is a different kind of quarterback than USC is normally recruited. Correct me if I'm wrong, but SC has never really had an offense built around a running quarterback. We've always been pro-style QB with a great stable of backs. Just curious as to what your thoughts are on this and how you could see him being used or the offense being adjusted to him in the future. Thanks again and fight on Ben in the Central Valley.
0: You know what? He's a great athlete. I mean, his video just absolutely blows you away. I mean, he does things running uh, uh, and, and throwing across his body, throwing on a run, but I wouldn't call him a running quarterback. I mean, he's a quarterback, uh, and he throws the heck out of the ball. He throws it short. He throws it deep. He throws it going left. He throws it going right. He, uh, he sees the field. He throws a deep ball, does all that stuff. Uh, and I know people say, oh, it's, it's kind of a lazy comparison to say he's Russell Wilson, but he's Russell Wilson. I mean, it, it, you know, I don't know. what. Uh, I think he's 5'11", and, and the one listing was 176, and maybe both of those are fudging it a little bit. I don't know where he'll be, you know, in two years. But, uh, man, uh, I don't know that I – until I started concentrating on his video – I don't think I had any idea he was that good. Uh, I mean, I just, you don't expect somebody to be that good. Almost nobody is, but he looks like he's that good. Um, uh, and I wouldn't get hung up in the numbers or the size or, or whatever. Uh, I'd be interested to see what how that works at modern day this year. Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> to go from uh, from JT to, to this kid. Uh and, you know, like when they play IMG, you know, they play Bosco. I mean, those are going to be, I mean, I would, you know, I would recommend people if you want to, you know, Friday night, Saturday, double headers, USC and, and modern day games. Um, boy, that would be, uh, that would be the way to go. But again, I'm not going to call him a running quarterback. I mean, he's a very athletic kid who can uh who can run run the ball whenever he needs to and he can you know stay alive in the pocket and stay alive out of the pocket and throw on the run but for a sophomore in high school <clears throat> to be able to do some of the things he did last year it's uh it's a, it's pretty special yeah. yes it will take probably some adjustment for USC to figure out <clears throat> how do we incorporate the stuff he can do. I mean, he's uh, you know he's. Uh, I mean, I can see why Oklahoma wanted him. Uh, uh, you know, they did a really nice job with Baker Mayfield, who doesn't even compare athletically. Uh, you know, to to him. I mean, he's just uh, he really special. I was I'm amazed. Uh, I mean, you know, yes, he's in a great place. I mean, and you can see it's the one area when the SEC schools kind of look out this way they think how do they have so many good quarterbacks how yeah. is that possible you know they just keep coming and they do they just keep coming but if you can and I'm sure every high school in California and maybe the country says how does modern day keep doing it well, <laughs> and that's the whole that's a whole different story. story yeah but but, uh, but you know why wouldn't you want to go to modern day if you were a you know a high school kid? in california wouldn't you you know that that seemed like it'd be pretty cool yeah uh with who they play and the kind of challenges you get and uh the kind of coaching staff they've got golly i mean i, I can't even you know begin to count the number of you know coaches they've got and the you know, the way they're gonna you know work with you and not i just face it the only high school in america with uh two heisman trophy winners and uh maybe uh, a chance for more uh but uh, yeah uh, they're gonna have to adjust but he's not a running quarterback he's yeah. a quarterback
1: agree with you there uh we got a couple more we'll let you go Lloyd says I believe we have enough talent on the offensive line but I don't see them getting any better under Neil Calloway their play is inconsistent and too many and too many penalties am I right or wrong that's from Lloyd
0: yeah, I mean, uh, that's the issue. Is it Callaway? Is it, I mean, I'd like him so much, and, and I know his history is such that he, you know, what's happened here doesn't seem to come out of a history of a guy who's got, you know, I think still the case, more, uh, Southeastern Conference championship rings than anybody in history. Uh, uh, you know, as a player and a coach, and, uh, you know, at Alabama and Auburn and Georgia, and, uh, um, but something hasn't worked well on this offensive line. Is it a combination of, you know, the way, uh, the, way the offense is schemed, the way, you know, the way they practice, uh, you know, are some of these things outside his control? I, I know we tend to personalize things, uh, you know, a little bit, uh, but it hasn't all gone together well, and you hope that maybe – I mean, you know, you see plays where they're running the ball into, you know, uh, where the point of attack there are more defenders than there are um, offensive linemen, and that's not necessarily on the offensive line coach. You know, he he didn't call that play, he didn't draw that play up. So, uh, but it's something to you know to watch. They got to get, you know, they got to get, you know, more athletic. They got to probably uh you know, refine exactly what they're doing on short yardage and, you know, bringing in an extra blocker where they need it, uh, getting better play out of the tight end, uh, getting guys more athletic. I mean, you know, and it is, it's somewhat difficult to explain. For example, you could take USC's offensive line from the Stanford game last year, the first Stanford game, and you could use that... Uh, you know as a this is a how to, how to do it uh for every team in the country i mean they couldn't have executed better and they couldn't have you know, you know just did everything you could possibly ask of them and then uh as the year went on you just you know you had some injuries and obviously and and, and yet you just didn't see that level of Uh, aggressiveness and and precision and you know and it dropped off fairly precipitously I mean it, it didn't happen against Texas right away and didn't happen against Utah and you know California you know Cal and it just it just seemed to go away and I don't know I don't have a good explanation as to as to where it went or how it went away but it did And they got to get it back. I mean, you know, when you got four starters back and you got a couple of pretty talented guys, uh, you know, fighting out for that other position, I'm not sure they're going to have enough of the young guys pushing them. I mean, I wish that were more the case. Uh, I think, you know, you got enough starters back for people like Phil Steele to say, you know, I think they've got, he's got USC's offensive line rated as uh, number eight in the country. So if they play like they're the number eight offensive line in the country life will be pretty good now it'll, it'll, it'll be okay uh but they got to get there and uh, and after last year we're just not sure uh and they got to make a statement and they got to get it done and uh they won't talk to you they don't want to much talk about how things are going they, they don't want you know, they know if you stop them and talk to them one of the first questions is going to have the words ohio state in it and uh, that's not something they want to hear about at all. And, uh, uh, and I don't think that's a necessarily a negative thing. They know about Ohio State, and they know that whatever they say isn't necessarily going to uh, take away the Ohio State game. Um, and they know it, they need to just do it, not talk about it. Yeah. But, uh, but, but we'll see. I mean, they know what we're asking them about. and. I don't blame him. I wouldn't want to answer it either. (laughs)
1: Um, Here's one. We had a text question from Chris. Uh, He's from Laguna Beach. Third generation Trojan. He said, many SC fans feel this year is the benchmark for USC. With the new quarterback and questionable offensive line, I think that is unfair. 2019 would be a better measure. What do you say? Fight on from Chris.
0: See, I think I think it is a, it is, and not in, in you know the, the the way you might think, but I think there's there's enough talent to have a really good year, but they've got to get their act together in terms of you know physicality and toughness and mental toughness, uh, practice toughness, uh, you know just getting them ready absolutely ready to play i mean i like the fact the way the defense is you know with the two tests a week and and really telling these guys look you know we play we, we play a lot of good plays and then we give up a 40 yard play uh we can't do that this year you know one guy breaks down and and you know the whole defense breaks down uh so i like that you know i like that approach uh and i like it that I get that the opportunity is there. It's up to them. I mean, they are not, you know, these expectations and, and all of that that, you know, I think the average, uh, if you took all the preseason teams, I think the average uh, of the where USC is picked is like number 17, which is plenty high enough. If you have the year that you think you might be able to have, you get the quarterback play, the offensive line play, and the defense is dominant. Uh, you can move up from there. I mean, and they've got a schedule that will allow you to move up. And uh, so I, I like this team. And to me, that's more of a benchmark. I mean, I go back till uh, you know, I'm going to tell am blue in the face talking about it. I think the 2003 team was the benchmark. And then there are ways you can say that the way Carson and Troy's team in 2002 finished up was kind of a benchmark. Uh, but I thought the team that, you know, they won the first national championship, uh, I think that was the team uh, with a young quarterback, fairly a good number of young guys on that team. And that showed what USC football was capable of, of, of doing. And I think that's the same thing with this team. I mean, I'm not sure you're going to say, well, you know, what specifically do they have to do in terms of, you know, winning this and winning that. But uh but I think the benchmark has to be for USC that they're going to dominate the Pac-12. I mean, they dominate the Pac-12 in recruiting. They've got the dominant history in the Pac-12. Uh, they're the team that nationally people will follow if they're good. They will draw the kind of attention that nobody else in the Pac-12 can draw. And uh, and they're going to have a chance. I mean, you know, they've got a, the kind of schedule that gives you that opportunity. So – I wouldn't put it off and say, oh, it'll be that next year. I, I, think, uh, I think it's uh, Cameron uh, Smith and uh, Porter Gustin's year. And um, I, think, I think this year would be, for me, uh, the potential benchmark year to say. And, and a big part of that is for Clay and for this coaching staff to figure it out. Figure it out. How do they do what they have to do to get them ready to play? Too many times last year they weren't ready to play. I mean, that's, that's, you not to argue about that. It's, it's inarguable. Uh, and they've got to figure out how do we get this team ready to play. And, ha- and this team's trying to figure out that same thing among themselves. What do they have to do to be ready to play? And uh, I like the fact that this the players on this team seem to want to own this team. So they're not thinking about the next year. They're, they're, they're thinking about this year.
1: They are, and I think, um, you know, I get when you're talking about having a new quarterback, but really you're going to have that every couple of years anyway. Um, in this kind of a situation, uh, Chris, in Laguna Beach, you, if you're going to say it's a questionable offensive line, well, why is it? Like they got everyone coming back just about, and you have you had so many years in a row where you're tr- switching offensive line coaches. This is your third year in a row for Neil Callaway. There's consistency there. There's talent there. There's depth there. You can't say if you're saying it's questionable, why are you giving him a pass? There shouldn't it shouldn't be questionable for to begin with. So I think this is a, a really good benchmark year for USC. Can you replace a star quarterback? Can you make this offense work without an individual like Sam Darnold making plays on his own? So I think it's a perfect benchmark year. I would I wouldn't agree with
0: Chris. Yeah, it's a team year. I think the other thing is uh, college football is different. I mean, uh, let's face it, you had two freshman quarterbacks deciding the national championship last year with uh, Tua Tagovailoa and uh, um, uh, Jake Fromm from Georgia. The year before, you have uh, Alabama with uh, Jalen Hurts in the championship game. So uh, it's not that whole you know, new freshman quarterback. For example, if JT Daniels were, uh, were a basketball player, and he had just come off the McDonald's All-Star game, and he had, you know, played lights out and met everybody in scoring and all that, nobody in the world would be thinking, oh, man, I don't know, with a freshman, like, I don't know if that's, no. You'd just say, hey, he's going to have one year and go. Uh, So, and I know football's different, and there are, you know, all the, you know, but I don't think it's that different. If you can throw the ball to the right place at the right time and you see the field, and stuff doesn't bother you, you can be pretty good. And so, I mean, you know, we've had the advantage. Okay, everybody can see the video. And if you, you get a chance to look at one of those highlight videos of, of JT, uh, you know, from last year, you, know, you ought to take a look at it. Some of the, the throws or most of the throws are pretty amazing in terms of, you know, accuracy and timing and uh, ability to see where, you know, the, where the opening guy is going to be and all that. But if you can do that, that that's, you know, it's not something that you can't do at the next level. You can do it at the next level if you're, if you're that guy and, you know, we'll see, uh, you know, if JT that guy, but, uh, uh, if he is that guy, then, uh, this year could be really interesting. And it could be one of the more fun years in USC football, um, uh, you know, history if, if, you know, they make the most of it and, 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 and there are ifs, if, you know, for, for the quarterback, if for the offensive line, and if for, for Clay and, and his staff. I mean, there, there are some ifs. Yeah. Uh, and you, you don't want to have too many of those ifs. You know, you don't want to be feeling that, you know, inside straight. Uh, that's You know, that's hard. But, uh, but we'll see. I mean, you know, uh, for a coach like, like Clay, getting to about to year three, about what it takes and, and Clay didn't have the benefit he didn't get to coach uh you know with with Pete Carroll didn't get you know the chance to be on a national championship run didn't maybe get to see exactly you know what all that what what it takes uh but he's had his moments um you know and he's had his accomplishments and he's had his you know, big, uh, you know, the win at Seattle, the, obviously the Rose bowl where there was no panic on that sideline down 14, uh, you know, the winning the first Pac-12 championship happened to beat a Stanford team twice. That wasn't easy. Uh, and so, you know, 21 wins and two years, but it, that's just, you know, that's just, uh, sort of a foundation. Now, how do you take that and go to that next level? We're hearing the right things about practice. Much more live team action. I like to hear that. Uh, that's very good. Much more putting the quarterbacks under pressure. And that's the hard hard thing to do in, in, in football because, you know, you're never going to be able to hit them. But, um, but getting guys ready to, you know, be able to play fi- as physical as they need to play against the really good teams. Um USC almost always is going to have enough talent, even if they don't have it together uh, against a lot of their a lot of their opponents. But uh, but to take that next step up and to get back into the elite uh, category of college football, they really got to get practice right. And um, this will be the year we'll find out if they do. But if they do, uh, they have a chance.
1: We got one last question. Dan Matt from Woodland says. What watch list is Dan Weber on? I'm not a I'm not a big watch, watch list is? fan. You know those watch lists that comes out and like right. I'm not a huge fan of those uh, at all. But no. you want any watch lists?
0: No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I'm not. Sure. I, I I look at the watch list, uh, but uh, uh, as far as uh, being on a watch list, I don't know. Maybe I'm on the Pac-12 watch list. Uh, I think I'm on uh, that too. Yeah. Yeah, watch this guy. <laughs> Although I would say this. I give Larry Larry Scott credit. He had to know about the Feinbaum show and the column, and he answered my question, and he wanted to answer my question. And I, I give him credit. He's trying hard to answer that question. I'm not sure the whole rest of it he's, he's got figured out, but that was a respectful uh, back and forth interchange uh, so if that's the watch list I'm on uh, that's fine and, and 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 they always treat you uh, with respect uh, for the pac 12 people and, and they kind of know where we're coming from and uh, and you know, they're we just to, see things differently
1: yeah they're trying to make us use metrics that to, to judge them that aren't what the regular you know football or Revenue, like they're like, don't look at football. Don't look at revenue. Look at these other things. Those are better. You know, measure. how many people will we graduate, or what? How many you know water polo championships will we win? That's more important than football or basketball national championships or making more money than than other you know conferences.
0: Well, well, well like for example, they say we have like a mission-based uh, you know uh, set of goals for our uh, network and we do 850 events. Nobody does that many and you want to say here's how you should measure it, not by how many events you do, but how many people are watching. And a lot of your events, if you've got 850 events, you have a lot of events that probably don't have 850 people watching them. And that's not good. And you got to, you know, be more results oriented. I mean, they basically say give us a pay us because our intentions are good. You yeah. know, we wanted to get direct TV involved, but we just missed out or we didn't need, we thought for, you know, we won't need like the Pac-12 or the big, uh, big 10 and the SEC who went in with Fox or, or ESPN for their networks and are making so much more money. said, we just didn't want to do that. But in 12 and by the end of the 12 years, We'll have figured something out, and it'll really be worthwhile that we've owned owned the network all ourselves, even though we haven't made almost a dime from it. Uh, see, I mean, twenty million dollars to lose twenty million dollars. And I'm not saying that they would have been able to, you know, benefit quite as much as the Big Ten. But a twenty million dollar per team deficit for Rutgers to be cashing twenty million dollars a year more and TV checks than USC does, that's, that's harmful. I mean, USC could start uh, softball and, you know, $20 million, they could start three or four, you know, sports teams. They could, they could do all kinds of things if they had that, you know, $20 million extra a year. I mean, how much would that have benefited between now and the end of the contract? $120 million, they could have taken it and dedicated it to the uh, Coliseum renovation and done it right you know, which is probably what it would have taken, you know. uh, And that that stuff matters. You know, you can't paper over the fact that, oh, it's not all about money. And you especially can't do that when you're the highest paid commissioner in all of college sports. I mean, you know, you can't really make the same argument about it's not all about money when in your case it seems to all be all about money. Although – and I don't know if you guys picked this up. Larry Scott's uh, son is going to be coming to USC next year, so uh, he's. Uh, 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 so I don't know if that's going to change USC's feelings about Larry or Larry's feelings about USC. But uh, but it's an interesting uh, interesting development uh, as things go.
1: Yeah, it is. All right. Well, great stuff, uh, Dan little Friday show so people can maybe listen over the weekend. And uh, next Friday we'll be down at USC and uh, talking some more USC football with the opening of fall camp. Looking forward to that. Can't wait. All it's right. going to be
0: fun. I, I like that. I wasn't sure coming out of spring. And I, I think the things that have happened since spring tell me this might be fun. This might be a really interesting, fun year to be involved with the football. Uh, I've got to just just have that kind of a feeling that, who knows, this could be, you know, could be fun.
1: Could be. We will see. All right. That's Dan Weber. Uh, I'm Ryan Abraham. Hope you have a wonderful weekend and uh, enjoy the week leading up to the first day of fall camp, which means the 2018 season is just around the corner. So for Dan, I'm Ryan. Thanks for tuning in. And we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening